Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. So we are um, starting a new series, which is always your favorite news to hear, um, and it's called uh, Stuff Paul Said. I know, real unique, real, uh, the creative team worked extra hard. You need some help there, love? There you go. Um, and the reason we do it is every couple years, I do a series called uh, Stuff Jesus Said, because um, it just gets right to the point, and I think it's uh, really important that we center ourselves on the person of Jesus, on the words and the works and the majesty of the Christ. But Paul's been getting some attention from me. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but I'm in seminary, no big deal. And um, we had a nice, a good discussion about it. And I thought, you know, we should like for a little bit just talk about Paul, because Paul is like this mover and shaker, um, not just in the New Testament, but even the church. Like there's still things that we use church governance for, we still use some, uh, even, I don't know if you call them policies, that Paul set up like thousands of years ago. And he did. He wrote a, a large part of the New Testament, and he wrote some beautiful things. Like in Ephesians 5, it's talking about how um, the, the majesty of Christ, and Christ is at the head of all things, and how we are part of this body, and how it's all connected. And it says in verse 20, um, out of reverence for Christ, uh, serve one another. And that's always been an inspiring verse to me of, like, um, to, to serve. And that's just, like, that's not to, like, a specific, specific group of people. That's just to humans. To move in the way of love is to give of yourself. To move in the way of Christ is to be generous, like we just say. And why do we do it? Out of reverence, out of love, out of adoration. And that's, that's beautiful. But then you go, like, just one more verse after that, and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, Right? That's like one of your favorite ones, right? That, and it should evoke a different kind of emotion, right? So you can go from like, this is great. All of a sudden, like, who does this guy think he is, right? Then you can go to like, um, he has some like weird stuff about like getting caught up in the sky with Jesus. And like, what does that even mean? And then there's other things, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like in Romans 1, where Paul um, talks about the depravity of humanity. And he ends talking about... Uh, of how um, people have given themselves over to unnatural desires, and how a man shouldn't be with another man. And at a plain reading of that, some people are like, well, I guess then uh, you can't uh, be gay, right? I guess it's a sin if, you're, uh, if, you, if you identify as queer. And that, like, two verses that has been, um, at a plain reading, right, has been used to bring violence to so many people, Right? Violence, not just like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's rough. It's violence because imagine being like a 15-year-old and you, you know that you're gay and you have not publicly come out and you hear from the pastor that you really trust and you love and then you hear <laughs> and you love this God so much and all of a sudden you hear that you're like an abomination. And so what do you do? How many times have you heard this story from kids? They try turning it off. They try suppressing it. They try changing uh, so they, they stay closeted, and then they try changing, and all that shame and guilt comes, and they try praying it away. If you want to watch a great documentary on Netflix called Pray It Away, it is, I mean, um, if you are a, um, a part of the LGBT community, I'd probably not recommend you watch it. It is, I imagine, it's triggering for me, and I'm a middle-aged, straight white man, right? So, 
But if you want to um, watch something incredibly good about that whole movement of trying to pray away, it is devastatingly um, good, right? And so you can imagine, as a teenager, if they hear that verse, and they hear their pastor, and they hear their God, and all they want to do is belong, this is how not just mental health, but physical health and self-harm has come out of that, just from like one or two verses. So Paul is like all over the place, and it should evoke emotion, Right? When you read the Bible, it should evoke some emotion. It should be move you to places of inspiration and wisdom. And it should also move in places where you're really frustrated or you're really confused. Because that means you're human. And the Bible is very human. It's what I love about it. It is messy. It contradicts itself at times. It, is, um, uh, it invokes wisdom and curiosity. Because that's what the Bible is supposed to do. So this is why we want to talk about Paul. Because there's all these things that don't make sense. And it's interesting. I was planning on saying this. I've heard more messages given on by, by the words of Paul more than I heard messages given by the words of Jesus, right? And why? Because it's a lot more convenient to use like a couple verses of Paul to get a desired result, right? Where if you use the words of Jesus, then it's not just a desired result. It means transformation. Because the words of Jesus is about liberation and freedom, not just for my eternal salvation, but for the people around me. When Jesus says, the least and the last, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for theirs the kingdom of God, is very different than Paul giving specific instructions for a group of people. And you can say that, well, now I'm going to apply this to everything. It's harder to do the works of Christ than it is about church governance, right? It's a lot harder. So Paul is this man, right? He does not have this secret access to God that um, hope doesn't have, right? Uh, he wrote what we call the Word of God, but that Word of God is the same breath that is in you, right? It's in the same breath and the same Word that you have. It's, there's no difference. And so it's easy to take Paul, we put him up, it's like Jesus 1A and then Paul like 1B. And like they're the superstars, right? And then there's like Chris, he's like somewhere on there as well. Um, and we do a disservice, when we try elevating Paul to this higher, higher level, Paul is brilliant, and he was very good at what he did. And what he did was he planted these churches that were radically progressive. I mean, that's not even the right word, right? It's like transformationally inclusive and progressive. And he did a very, very good job, job at it. He's a Pharisee. Um, he was trained in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and he knew everything inside and out, um, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So I want to, um, for those of you in the room and those who are watching or listening on the podcast, um, this will, could be triggering, some of these things we talk about. Uh, obviously, right, if you're queer, we will be going through Romans 1, and we're going to be talking through what was Paul really getting at. And some of these verses that um, we're going to be going through um, have been used to bring trauma, to bring um, oppression, to bring pain, and I'd even say violence. Like, there's a... Um, a book called uh, Bad Theology Kills, right? And I believe that um, historically the church has done this and has brought pain. I mean, we use Paul a lot when it comes to purity culture, right, of, of shaming uh, people, but mostly women, into not being their full selves and being re held responsible for other people's reactions, right? That has brought so much trauma. So if you have had trauma in your life because of the Bible, if you've had these verses spoken over you with an expectation to be something different. Anytime we use the Bible as a weapon, that's sin, right? Because sin just means it misses the mark. And the purpose of the Bible is not to bring um, power over you. It's to bring power in you and through you. So I just wanted to say, like, um, 
we work really hard at creating a culture of where you belong. Not you belong when, not you belong if. It just simply means you belong. And I hope that this is a place of where you feel welcomed, where you feel inspired, and that we can find new life, right? New life in these verses. A word I like to use is like reimagine what Paul could say. Because, oh man, I'm going all over the place. Um, when you read the Bible, right, there's things that we can take literally in the Bible. Like, I take the Bible very, very seriously. Like, like very seriously. And I want to help inspire more people to take the Bible seriously. But I don't always take the word, the Bible, literally. And it's in something like Romans 1, when the Bible says it, I believe it, kind of stuff, that we can use it to bring some damage. And so we're not going to, like, take Paul's words and then bring him into the current context, right? We can, but that's not where we want to start. Because we have evolved as humans since Paul wrote these letters, right? And we're also not going to take our context and throw it back then. Because the words we're going to read, I'm just saying, like, today is going to be a doozy. It sounds so archaic, the things that we're going to be writing about. You're like, who and why would they write that? Because there's a certain time, there's a certain place, there's a certain culture of how they viewed science, how they viewed God, how they viewed their bodies, like, how they viewed justice. All of that has evolved. But I believe that there is wisdom when we can, like my buddy Nick says, when we can vibrate just a little bit higher and get a bigger idea of what Paul was um, writing about. So where we start it today is... I was listening to this podcast, and it was about this, um, this woman who was raised in a very fundamental um, church, and um, she came out as um, lesbian, and how hard it was and difficult it was, and she was sharing her story, and how she shows up in this world is incredibly intriguing and interesting, which we can talk about later. And she is an um, advocate, not just to the queer community, and an activist, not just to the queer community, but also to those fundamental churches, trying to say, let's do better, right? We can continue to grow and evolve, and she does in a way of love instead of shame. It's so good, but the way that she shows up in the world is so intriguing, and she said, I believe the narrative of the Bible is inviting me, not for other people, but for me to show up in this way, and I find flourishing in this. And she tells a couple stories of how that has helped her. And she shared this story from Paul in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11. And I never heard this story, this passage, talked about this way. And it just, it like, blew my mind. And, like, previous Chris would have been like, oh, I heard this on a podcast. It must be true. And I'd go around and just like, oh, yeah, don't you know this is true? And I'm like, eh, maybe I should, like, I don't know, like, read the passage from the Bible first, right? Uh, and then I went to um, several different um, academics and scholars and theologians, and imagine this, uh, like as many different theologians as I went to, I got different interpretations, which again is what I love about the Bible, right, of how you engage with the story of Paul should be different, right, than me based on where we live, our life circumstances, um, all that. And, um, <laughs> and the, the one that I read that really blew my mind was the most intriguing because it's a woman by the name of Wendy um, Aslip. A-S-L-U-P. And um, I read her credentials and who she um, blogs for, essentially. And when I found out who she um, um, contributed to, oftentimes, um, was a, a website that uh, traditionally we see things very differently. We have different vantage points of seeing God, right? And I judged her big time. I'm like, I'm not going to read this one. And then I honestly, I heard myself uh, in front of people like, hey, we can be a student of all things if we're willing to humble ourselves and learn. And I'm like, oh, man. So um, 
<laughs> I literally like heard myself do my car salesman voice, and I'm like, okay, like I'll read it, and I um, will uh, hopefully learn something. And I'm so glad I did because I got taken to school, and it opened this like higher way of viewing this passage, and really inspired me just to again. Stop assuming that I have, like, some special gift on the Bible, right? And I should be able to learn from other people, of other traditions, with other stories, um, and different experiences than my own. So, and what it's on, what blew my mind, was all about head coverings. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. You're with me. You're like, I can't wait. Where Paul tells women they have to cover their head. Wow, that's so progressive, right? So, we're going to read this passage, right? And I'm going to do, it's called a plain reading. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to give any context. I'm not going to, the Greek word means this, right? I'm just going to read it. And I want you to be aware of your breath. I want you to be aware of your body. I want you to be aware of your curiosity. I want you to be aware of your judgment. It's okay to judge, right? That's called like thinking critically, all right? So like you might have some feelings. Be aware of those. Um, Then I'm going to talk a little bit more, and then I'm going to read an even crazier part of the Bible and <laughs> do the same thing. Uh, where is it? Right here. All right, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same, th- is same as having her head shaved. Verse 6. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a, if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Thus saith the word of God, right? Paul goes on even a little bit after this and talks about how you're like even like dishonoring the angels, right? He goes all over the place. How does this have any relevance to us today? To understand, we have to go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. Because like I said, Paul is um, a Pharisee. So he knows like ins and outs of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and in there, there's all these rules, there's all these laws. There's over 600 of them. And the Pharisees have, like, this bad reputation because they're, like, viewed as, like, the bad guys uh, because Jesus says some things. are like, hey, Jesus, you can't do that. And so we usually have a negative connotation to them. But, like, here's oh, a <laughs> so funny. Is Nikki here? Yeah, okay. Um, here's why. Um, if you know someone who's a one on the Enneagram, all right, if you know any <laughs> Right? They uh, traditionally, if you know the Enneagram, they like things in the right space. They, there's rules and there's right ways of doing them. I am not a one on the Enneagram. I am a three, which means I'm an achiever and I want to succeed and I will do whatever I can to win. So when Nikki and I play games, right, I forget the rules. That's what I get. <laughs> we don't play games because I'm like, I don't remember, so I'm going to do this. And she's like, that does not work for me, Christopher. Right? you got to do it right. And <laughs> so in this scenario, right, Nikki's the Pharisees and I am Jesus, all right? Because <laughs> Jesus, right, Jesus says, like, uh, you've heard it said, the eye for an eye. And you can imagine the Pharisees like, that's right, brothers. We do know that, right? Let's go. All right, bro, brohood. Um, and then Jesus says, but now, right, now we turn the other cheek because we're not going to dehumanize people with our violence, right? You can see the Pharisees like, whoa, 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 you can't just change the rules, right? So that's where there's this tension. Paul is one of those people. He knows the law. He knows the Hebrew Bible. So it would not be, and this is what Wendy argues in her article, it's not hard to imagine that he would be aware of the few times in the Hebrew Bible where it talks about women shaving their hair. There's not a lot. There's a lot on hair, 
there's a whole study I started reading on just on hair in the Old Testament. And so this might inform a little bit, this good color, of why Paul is asking women to color their head. Now, I'm going to do another plain reading. This one's even weirder. So be aware of your body, your breath, your curiosity. And um, Deuteronomy 21, verses 10 through 14. <laughs> when you go to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take captives, if you notice among them, notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes that she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave, since you have dishonored her. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Right? Those are two bangers of verses to start on a Sunday, right? How could this have any relevance to 1 Corinthians uh, 11, to today, to why are they talking about captives? Here's why. Um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy are these weird, weird books at first glance. There's blood, there's smoke, there's fire, they're like, they're burning fat, right? A lot of blood, tons of blood happening in there. And why? It's like this. Uh, if you were a part of a toxic relationship for like 20, 25 years, maybe, I don't know all your stories, maybe you, you are a survivor, right? You were in a horrible relationship where for 20, 25 years, um, your partner told you how stupid you are, how worthless you are. They would mentally, emotionally, maybe physically abuse you. And finally, after 25 years of them telling you who you are and gaslighting and this toxicity of a relationship, you finally get the strength to get out, Right? You don't just day one say, I'm, I'm Chris 2.0. Let's go, baby, right? You're going to have to relearn not just who Chris is, but what does it mean to be human? And you need a series of people. You need a community of professionals, friends, and family to help you. And how do they help you? Right? They say, hey, Chris, tomorrow morning, I'm going to pick you up at 8. We're going to get some coffee. We're going to go for a walk. You're going to cry a lot because I cry a lot, right? Then I'm going to take you to a therapy session. Then we're going for another walk. Then we're going to get... We're gonna, then we're going to get some lunch. I'm going to drop you off. You're going to take a shower. You remember showering, Chris? Shower, right? And then we're going for another walk, right? Someone's going to come alongside you and help you step by step by step move towards what? Discovering who I am. Rediscovering who I am. This is Leviticus. This is Deuteronomy. It is this painstakingly um, instructions on how to be human. Why? For so long, the Hebrew people were caught up and enslaved for generations and generations um, in this abusive system. They didn't know what it's like. They had to go into the wilderness to discover again who they are. And it's this, in that context, it is this beautifully um, progressive, liberating thing of a God who is telling people and showing people, what do I do when my animal breaks its leg? What do I do when my brother in this business deal I feel like took advantage of me? What do I do when I feel like I need some sort of account to the things I've done to the ground, right? Step by step. And it's archaic, but it's beautiful. In that context, then, what God is inviting the Hebrew people to do and to be is radically different from the tribes around them. Because in that time, this is what tribes did, right? They woke up and said, who are we going to go conquer? Let's go. And they conquer. And if they win, they get access to anything and everything. And women at the time were just nothing more than um, property, right? So if they saw someone, they're like, oh, what do tribes do? We take. What God says is saying, you're going to be a different kind of people. 
Why? Because if you go to war and you win and you see a beautiful woman, you have to make her your wife. If you were reading this and you were one of the warrior men, you could hear like, and you see a beautiful woman, he, you know, the guy's probably like, all right, let's go. And, like, and you're going to make them your wife? They'd be like, mm, come again? One, one more time for the people in the back, right? Because what God is doing now, this is archaic. We can't take our context and throw it in there because we obviously say, this is stupid. This is horrible. This, what kind of God is this? Is a question I get asked often. This is the kind of God it is. It is a slow arc through time, through generations and generations uh, that we see fulfilled in the person of Jesus of there's a new way of being human. There's a new way of operating in this world. There's a new way of how we're going to order this world. And we're never going to strip anyone of their humanity. Maybe you once did this in war, but what am I inviting you to do now is make her your wife. Why? Because with a wife comes a story, comes a history, comes a trajectory, comes power, comes voice, comes money, comes a house, has some sort of forward-moving thing, belonging to something bigger than yourself. And why? Why have her shave her head and take a month? Because she's shaving her head because she is scared. You did this to her. In, in, in a way, it's not hard to imagine of God saying, this is what you're going to do. If you want to do this, here's the consequences. Now everyone's going to know what you did, right? And she should mourn. I, this is, I love this part of, like, that they left this in there, of the give the, the woman who is captured, right, tragic trauma, saying, we're going to give you time in this culture to grieve, to heal. And then... After that, you can take her as your wife, and you get to be a husband. You can figure out what that, that means. Um, and at, after, if you are displeased, right? If you're displeased, you're not to sell her into slavery. You are to what? It says, you are to believe her and do what she wants to do. Take her to where she wants to go. What's happening now is this woman now has voice. This woman now has some sort of autonomy over her own body. And what God is doing and what Paul, it's not hard to imagine, draw a line. What Paul is doing is saying we radically include those. Anytime in the Bible where there is someone dehumanizing someone else, there is the wrath, if you want to use that word. That's where judgment is. I mean, think about it. Um, we have the Israelites and uh, being enslaved by um, the Egyptians. But then the same thing happens to the Israelites when they enslave other people right? Then there's judgment on them. They have this time where um, they're begging God, let us have a king. Oh, please, all we want for Christmas is a king. Let us have a king. Come on, God. And God's like, uh, no, you don't need a king. And they're like, no, but seriously, look at all the other kingdoms. We could be like them. And God's like, you don't want that. Finally, God says, fine, I'll give you a king. And what happens? There's some good things. But what do kings and kingdoms do? They rage war on other kingdoms, and they enslave other kingdoms. And any time you use violence over people, you're stripping them of the humanity. You're stripping them of what it means to be human. And every time we do that, that's evil. So what's happening here with Paul? Uh, he's in a town, Corinth. Corinth is this, like, wild, wild city. It's this trade town. So there's all this diverse group of people coming different cultures, faiths, uh, languages, uh, different ways of viewing God or gods, and <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a wild, it's a pretty wild city, and th there was no, like, FBI, there was no enforcement, there was just, like, uh, the beautiful people, right? There was just the, the empire, and the way you got to be a part of the empire is money and class. That is it. There, or if you're a Roman citizen as well. So there's the beautiful people and everyone else, and any man could do whatever he wanted to someone who is not a part of this system. At any point, with zero consequences, 
Zero consequences. Now imagine Paul is creating these churches all around this area that, um, where he says in Galatians 3, there's neither male nor female, neither um, f- um, slave or free, neither Jew or Gentile, that we all belong in Christ. It is this beautiful, beautiful picture. And he creates a wildly diverse church of um, people who were sla- enslaved and people who owned slaves, people from different languages, and everyone belonged. So that's the context, right? But even in this um, letter that Paul is speaking specifically to a group of people, a woman named, a person named Chloe wrote Paul a letter saying, hey, there's some crazy stuff happening. We need you to remind us who we are. We don't know all of it. We have some ideas, and this is one of them. Because it's not hard to imagine that there would be women in this church who came from another um, temple where they were a priestess, that they were an immigrant, that they were a slave, and they had their head shaved, maybe out of trauma, maybe out of attrition, doesn't matter. And in that church, there would be men that could walk around the room and say, who's human and who's not? Who can I touch and who can I not? Who can I take advantage of? Who can I prey on and who I can't? Because women who had status would cover their heads. And let everyone know, I belong to something or someone else. I'm untouchable. If you didn't have your head covered, you were exposed. So what Wendy was uh, arguing in this article um, is that to cover your head, to ask women to cover their head, says, I'm also human. I also belong. Not because my husband, because my body. Because the Christ is in me. Because I am human. It says that they can get up and pray publicly. They can get up and prophesy publicly. That they also have voice. So what does that mean for us? Like, we're not asking people to cover heads. <laughs> we ask some people to cover faces. I just thought about that. I could have, that would have been a great joke. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, what it means for us is this. Who is vulnerable in our culture? Who does the empire prey on? Who does the, the, the powerful people still take advantage of um, the marginalized people? And usually when we think about this, we're like, oh, yeah, those people, right? And where are those people? Somewhere else, right? Where are those people? Another part of the country, another part of the world, right? Maybe another, um, uh, another select community, those people are walking the halls of our school. Those people are in this room. Those people are watching. Those people are walking the streets of your community, right? And when we are aware and when we can see and notice who's being preyed upon, who's being taken advantage of, right, then we can actually do something. This is what Paul is doing. A, a chapter, the beginning of this chapter, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What does it mean to imitate Christ? What does it, move to, uh, what does it mean to move the way of Christ? It's to do something. It's to include. It's to be aware of what's happening around us and then actually physically doing stuff, using our art, using our activism, using um, our words, using our tables, using our cars, using our votes, to be a part of some liberation system, being a part of how we can practically feed people, meet the needs of people. Here's one group of people that the empire or the powerful people prey on and take advantage of, poor people. It is so expensive to be poor these days. And it's easy. Oh, I'm going on a rant right now. <laughs> wasn't bananas, right? I've heard many people say, complaining about unemployment. All these people just, get back to work. I have to work, you get back to work, Right? As if all these people, imagine there's some, all these people are like, I love being unemployed. I love just sitting at home. I love depending on the government to be able to feed my kids, right? It is so 
incredibly hard. One, one um, aspect of this, right? Because to be poor means a lot of different things. Low-income housing. Low-income housing. And I met with the, um, the, the, the person who oversaw all the low-income um, low housing in Carlton County, and this was before the pandemic, and it was a two-year waiting list to get into low-income housing. And I started thinking, like, well, what do they do then? If they qualify for low-income housing, that means they don't have a lot of money, um, then where do you go? Hmm. You look for cheap rent. Where do you get cheap rent? Really bad landlords. And what do they do? Take advantage of vulnerable people. I had the um, opportunity to um, bring some food to uh, a young woman in, a in an, uh, an apartment here in Cloquet. And I walked in, and I this is my privilege talking, my bias. I instantly walked in. I'm like, why would anyone live here? This is disgusting. And instantly I'm like, uh-oh, I have options. I have choice of where I want to live. I have a whole acre that's wooded that we don't even use. It's just there, right? I have a garage. If I don't want to talk to people, I can shut my garage, pull my garage, and shut it. I have that privilege. I walked in, opened the door, and they had nothing in there. They had a chair and a table. And I think I even, oh, man. <laughs> I think I even said, where's all your stuff? You know, I'm just, like, making small talk. And they're like, I don't have, I don't have. <laughs> it's almost like, like she said, what, I'm here. What, do you, what more do you expect from me, right? And from then on, I've been a huge advocate of how do we bring in more low-income housing, right? There's practical ways through organizing, through activism, through money, through I went to a, a, a town meeting where people were complaining uh, uh, in my town of like they're so afraid of uh, apartments coming in. They're like, well, they're going to bring in what? Poor people? Yes, as they should. So what Paul is getting at and where I give my rant, my rant is done, right? The opportunity for us is who is being preyed upon? And if you don't know, then we're not paying attention, right? All it takes is asking some people. All it takes is doing some research, right, Googling. And then what we can do, not just as a church, but we, what we can do as Christians, as people of Christ, as imitate Christ, which is liberation and freedom in practical, simple ways. And neighborhood church, we can do hard things. We can be inconvenienced. And we can show up in love. And I believe that's who we are to be. Let's stand and let's pray. And I think we're going to sing too, aren't we? No? You can? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. So God, I thank you that uh, in this messy Bible, we see violence, we see oppression, we see assault, and it all stays in there, almost as a reminder, almost as a way of the people who have gone before us telling us, can you see us? Can you hear us? And can we do better? So I pray, God, that you will use us, not just collectively as a church, but as individuals, a circle of friends, as business owners, as employees, as families, as individuals, you will use us to make a difference in this world that we too can include. That we be aware of what systems that are in place that are intentionally or unintentionally excluding people. That we can be a part of that justice, we can be a part of that freedom, and we can be a part of that inclusion. And I thank you for the way that you have included me, that you've included us. Even as I've called you liar, I have called you thief, I've, 
I've called you quite a few things, and yet you still love, yet you still include, yet you still take me back in. Because there's nowhere that we can go that you aren't. So thank you for that love, and may we pay it forward to the person in front of us. We love you. Amen. Um, I, I really appreciate Chris, you telling us to stay with our breath. I think that's good. So our last song sings quite a bit about that. Um, so if it helps you to just close your eyes when we sing this last song, and if you have not taken a deep breath today, I know that last little bit of what was just preached, I know my breath got shorter and my shoulders shrunk. I'm like, what am I going to do? What do I need to do? Um, that's good, but you can lower your shoulders. You can take a deep breath because our breath is always with us. And I love the correlation of breath and prayer together, that taking a breath in, that gives me a moment to think, that I can respond to God being present with me all the time. So if you need that before you leave today, and you don't want to sing, you just want to sit with your breath, you're welcome to, to do that as well.
present with us all the time, then you're before us, and you're in front of us, you're behind us, you surround us. And with every breath that we take, uh, we respond to you, and we thank you for the good, we thank you for everything that you're doing, and that you're actively present in our work in our lives, and we say yes and amen. And amen. Uh, thanks for being here. You guys can hang out. If you want another cup of coffee, you can. We'll have some music on, and for those of you viewing online, good to see you.